Thank you, Miss Leticia. I read a book once when I was a young lad. Well, I read many books, but one particular book. It really wasn't uh, a book. I guess I'm bragging a little bit to say it was a book. It was more like a comic book. And it wasn't even really a, a real comic book. It was one of those, like, tales of suspense, I think it was called. What now would be called a graphic novel, meant to send a chill down a young lad's back. But I still remember it to this day. And in this story, a man went to visit another man who owned this large mansion. There was no one else there. They were both in the man's library, and they somehow got into an argument. The argument turned physical, and they started hitting one another. The fight got out of control, and impulsively the man picked up a candlestick and hit the other man, who owned the home, in the head and killed him. He fell to the ground dead, blood pouring out of his head. The man panicked, looking down at the other man that he had killed, and he realized he had blood on the front of him. His first thought was to flee the scene so that no one would ever know that he had been there. No one would know he had been there. He would make this getaway, but then he realized he had touched and held on to the candlestick, and it had his blood and his fingerprints on it, so he thought, I have to wipe off the candlestick to get rid of all the traces of my presence in this man's home. So he took out a handkerchief. He hurriedly wiped the candlestick off, but then he also remembered that he had touched the desk. So he wiped the edge of the desk. Then he remembered that he had touched the doorknob. So he wiped off the doorknob. But then he panicked. What else had he touched in this man's room in this man's house without remembering that he had touched it. So he broke out in a cold sweat and looked around the room to try and figure out exactly everything that he had touched. He was in a panic, so he can't remember what he had touched or not touched, but he was so upset and so hysterical that he just started wiping everything. Soon he was obsessed with wiping off everything in the room. Now, as I said, this was a Tales of Suspense, graphic novel, novel, comic book that a young lad, me, was reading. And in the story, it ends when in the morning, the maid comes in. She goes into the library to see who's in there, and she sees the owner of the home lying dead on the floor with blood all over him. But then she looks beside him, and there is this other man, babbling like an idiot, wiping, 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 wiping off everything. He is sitting there next to the dead body, just muttering and wiping off everything. Every book has been pulled off the shelf. Every object has been pulled out of the desk. Everything. The police are notified. The man is led away to jail, totally and completely mad. Stock raving mad. 
You see, during his panic, during his uncertainty of what he had touched or not touched, he lost his rational thought processes. He became preoccupied with something other than his original intention, which was just to wipe off a candlestick, going back to his even previous intention, which was to just have a conversation with a man. He had lost his focus. He had lost his intention. He had lost his purpose. He had lost the plot. Many times that's what happens. We get involved in something, hopefully not as tragic as this tale which I just wove for you, and we get distracted by other things along the way. We have a goal, we have a purpose, we have a focus, but something along the way distracts us to the left and to the right, and soon we're off focus. We're off the path. It might be something important. It might be something urgent. There might be something meaningless but interesting or amusing. And we get off the path because we're stressed out or we're greedy or we have a burden or we're just preoccupied or we see an opportunity to make money or be stronger or be more noticed. Whatever it is, something gets us off the focus. We have that one moment when we're distracted from our focus and we take one step away from where we're focused. And then we get distracted a little bit more and then we take another step away. So now we are not only one step away from where we took one step away, but now we are two steps away from where we originally wanted to be. And that's the way distraction works. It isn't always a big jump to something else. It's little by little, bit by bit. Little by little, we get moved off track. We lose our focus. We lose our, lose our, our mojo, as my friend Austin Powers might say. We lose the plot. This is the third week in this series that I've entitled Health in the Time of Virus. You can see little devotional five to ten minute videos of this that are on our church website, that are on our YouTube website, Savannah First SDA Church. And in this series, what I want to focus on is how can we maintain good health in this time of virus? These are very important, scary, serious times. How can we maintain health? Emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, mental health, financial health. When there is stress and pressure and uncertainty and virus, how are we to survive? What can we do to support ourselves? How can we have the wisdom to know what is under our control that we can control and the wisdom to know what is not under our control and what we just have to avoid or deal with or move on? You see, good mental health is when you learn to control the things that you can control and accept the things that you cannot control. And then to have the wisdom to know the difference is serenity. So the first week I mentioned to you that a, a healthy faith is real. It's based in reality. It lives in and acknowledges the reality of where and who we are. It doesn't deny feelings. It doesn't deny the darkness. It doesn't deny the scariness. It doesn't deny the danger. 
our faith is healthy when we live it and accept it in a real world. Yes, there are times of darkness, but God never leaves us or forsakes us. That's a real faith. That's how you keep health. Second week, last week, we talked about the good health is realizing that God has made you as a unique individual. God has made you for great things exactly the way you are. To bring glory to God, to be fully alive, to be submitted to Him, it gives Him the opportunity to use you to do His will. And the way He uses you might be different than the way He uses me. But all together, as the body of Christ, we work together to accomplish great things. So we don't need to be changed into other people's likeness. We need to be changed little by little and bit by bit into the likeness of Christ. This third week, today, I want to mention to you, as I mentioned earlier already, that good health stays focused. Good health stays focused with its eyes on the prize. Good health has goals, and good health has passion to get to and achieve those goals. It is your passion that drives you to the goals, and it's not easily sidetracked to the left or to the right. It doesn't get sidetracked into cleaning every object in the world when the only thing you needed to clean was the lampstand, the candlestick. And the Bible addresses this very human tendency to get distracted, to get caught up in minor matters instead of the major matters. We get too busy, we get distracted, we let fear or panic set in and change our agenda instead of letting our agenda be guided by our values and our goals. The Apostle Paul talks to his young apprentice minister, Timothy, about this. In the book 1 Timothy, there's two letters to Timothy that Paul writes. This is in his first book, strangely enough, creatively enough, called 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 to 21 says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from their faith. So guard what's been entrusted to you so that you don't wander from the faith. That's the New International Version. Now these are wise words from the Apostle Paul to young minister Timothy. To guard what had been entrusted to him. That word guard is an interesting word. The King James Version in these same verses says not to guard it, but to keep it. Keep that which is committed to your trust. So I looked up that word, and it means to guard, to keep watch on something so that it remains safe. Guard it. Protect it so that it stays safe. That's important. It's the same word that Jesus says when He says, keep My commandments. If you love Me, keep My commandments. You guard them. You keep them. You protect them. What do you guard them from? Why is Paul saying to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you? Well, he tells us why. In this case, what you want to guard them from is the godless chatter. And, and the, the, those words are defined as not just guard, uh, godless, but common, unhallowed, irreverent chatter. 
means empty discussions of babbling, useless matters. Ideas of what some people call knowledge. It causes us to wander from faith when we don't guard what we have, but we get caught up in unhallowed, common, godless chatter. In other words, stay focused on what you have and what you know, and don't get caught up in other things that are just babbling. It's just common. It's, it's irreverent. It's just babbling chatter. It's, it's the world around you that can be full of things that you need to be aware of and avoid if they are distracting you from your goals. It, might, it reminds me of the incredibly overcrowded, supersonic, insane world of social media. Now, for me, the only things I do are Facebook and Instagram. Other people do Twitter. I don't have that much to say. There's probably other things going on out there, social media, that I don't know anything about. But I have discovered that if you put a keyboard or a smartphone in someone's hand, oftentimes that smartphone reveals that they are quite dumb. Suddenly, with a keyboard in their hand or a smartphone in their hand, they become an expert on so many subjects. They become an expert on politics. They become an expert on the coronavirus. They become an expert on fitness. They become an expert on nutrition. They become an expert on relationships. And if you just listen to them, everything will be all right. You see, this is a phrase that Paul uses, unhallowed common babblings. I can only imagine what Paul would have done if he had Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Can you see Paul on Twitter posting all of these things? You see, sometimes in social media, using that as an example, and in real life, you have to just sign off. You have to turn away from that chatter. You need to guard what you are protecting, and that's the things that are important to you. What is your focus? What are your passions? Those are the things that you need to guard and you need to turn away from the chatter and the babbling. You need to unfriend some people. You need to mute some people. You need to turn off some people. You need to snooze some people. You need to unfollow some people. You need to block some people because it's just all too much. It's common, irreverent babbling. And I'm not even trying to bash social media. I'm talking about anything that keeps you from your focus. If you have goals A, B, and C, then your life should be directed to getting to those goals of A, B, and C. That's how you maintain good health. So what was important for Paul to pass on to Timothy was to keep focused on his faith in Christ. Keep doing those things that grew his faith, that drew him closer to Christ, to serve Christ from his gifts and his passions, to do what made him be fully alive in Christ. Don't get sidetracked by the constant noise and the babbling and the chatter that's like droning in your ears around us. Focus on what's been entrusted to your care. Guard it. Keep it. Protect it. And if Paul was saying, focus... In his time, when he had far less options out there, imagine what we need to do in our lives to keep our focus. Imagine how important that is now to stay focused. 
So my message today, my friends, is it's a simple, uncomplicated, basic message. It's that a person with healthy faith keeps focused on Jesus during and despite, and especially during stormy weather, during the times of darkness, during the times of stress, during the times of virus. Keep focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't get tangled up in the secondary things of your life. Don't forget that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And make sure you have not lost the plot. Let your passions drive you to your goals. Because when there is an emptiness in a life, a life without Christ, there's a void. And when there's a lack of focus on God in one's life, then people will take that void and they will fill it with something. A vacuum demands to be filled. And when people lose the plot and lose their focus and lose their opportunities to grow, they will just create other opportunities to fill that void. Now sometimes the distractions that they might fill themselves up with seem like they're good, seem like they're worship. Remember when the Hebrews were wandering in the desert and they had just gotten to the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses went up to the mountain to speak to God, and all of the people were waiting at the base under the leadership of Aaron, and they got a little bit distracted. They thought, well, where is Moses? He's taken off. Well, we need to get distracted by finding something to worship. So they took all of the gold that they had, and they made a golden calf. That's being distracted by the wrong things. They've lost their focus on the God of heaven and they turned it to a man-made thing trying to fill that void. You see, there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person. And it's in that place, that God-shaped hole, that a person finds meaning. And it's in that search for meaning that people will take things and see if it fits into that God-shaped hole and try to make it fit if it doesn't fit because they, they think like, well, that, that will give me meaning. It's the pursuit of fame. It's the pursuit of money. It's the pursuit of business. It's the pursuit of fitness. It's the pursuit of reputation. It's the pursuit of stuff. And I'll take all of this stuff and I'll shove it into this God-shaped hole inside of me and see if it brings me meaning and focus, and fulfillment. And in my experience, that will only lead to disappointment. It's only when God can be put into the perfect fit of that place in your heart where only God can fit that a person will find satisfaction, and focus, and meaning. Now Paul, when he says to Timothy, guard your heart, Keep these things because there's a lot of babbling out there. There's a lot of distractions out there. So guard these things and stay focused on the right thing. Paul knew what he was talking about because he had been distracted from the call to follow God by the trappings of religion. Paul was very religious, but he had taken his eyes off of God. So turn with me, turn over in your Bible. Since many of you are at home, you should be able to turn over in your Bible. You see, it's also a fitness class. You could lay the Bible down on the floor and then you could turn over in your Bible. But I wouldn't suggest you do that. But I will ask you, is it all right to read my Bible in church? Mm-hmm. All right, turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Turn over in your Bible. 
I myself will just open the Bible. But if you feel inclined to turn over in your Bible, go for it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And you're saying, preacher, are you going to read all that? Yes, of course. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. See, that's an insult. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So what he's saying there is those that try to hold you to the, the rigidness of the law, watch out for them. Don't be distracted by what they're telling you. Now he's going to list his accomplishments. He's going to brag a little bit. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he's talking about in this world, I have more. Now he's going to list his religious accomplishments, his resume, his CV. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, of the, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor as to the church, of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So first it seems like Paul is boasting about his achievements, but he's actually doing the opposite. He is showing that human achievements, no matter how impressive, cannot draw us closer to God. These are the distractions that can draw someone who is trying to be religious and get to know God away from God. To look at your accomplishments and think, yeah, that's right. I got it. I got it together here. He's talking about his upbringing, his nationality, his family background, his inheritance, his orthodoxy, his activities, his morality. But these things hindered and distracted him from his focus on Christ. And at the time of his conversion, his Damascus Road experience, we often call it in the book of Acts, he was actually on the way to Damascus to arrest and then kill Christians thinking he was doing the will of God. And note some of the aspects of his background that he brings to light to contrast working, walking with and knowing Christ. He says, first I was circumcised on the eighth day. Every good Hebrew boy should be circumcised on the eighth day. Second, he says, I belong to the people of Israel. See, he belonged to God's chosen, privileged by birth people. Third, he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. This was a greatly esteemed tribe, the favored tribe which Saul, Israel's first king, came from. 
Of all the Hebrews, he was among the best, the tribe of Benjamin, especially when contrasted to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, those outside the faith. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You see, this is an expression like the Song of Solomon is often called oftentimes called the Song of Songs. That means it's the best of the best. Jesus is called the King of Kings. The best of the best. Like Tom Brady, the quarterback. The best of the best. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. Alright, you can write comments if you don't think Tom Brady is the best. Personally, I think it was Johnny Unitas, but what do I know? Fifth, according to the law, he was a Pharisee. You see, the, the Pharisees were a very devout sect of leaders that scrupulously kept their own laws plus the laws of Moses. So they not only kept the five books of the law, but they also had all of these other laws. That's why Jesus said, you even tithe on your mint and your cumin, but you, you refuse to have even mercy for other people. Matthew 23 says that. So listeners would have been impressed by this list of credentials that he's saying. And then he says, as for zeal, my zeal was shown in persecuting the church. Paul was not your everyday run-of-the-mill Pharisee. He had zeal for God, and he demonstrated that zeal by going out to find Christians, track them down, drag them out, and have them killed because they thought that the Christian faith was going to disrupt the order that existed between the Hebrews and the Romans who were governing them. So they wanted to quiet down this small sect of believers, this Christian faith. So Paul thought by killing Christians, he was doing the will of God. You see, he was distracted. He had lost his focus on God and he had turned it to his own accomplishments in the religious world. Seventh, it says, as for righteousness and righteousness of the law, he was faultless. He was blameless. He was perfect. He had no blemishes at all on his record when you compare it to the law, to the flesh, as he says. He scrupulously adhered to the law with its finely honed regulations about Sabbath observance and food and ritual cleanliness. Paul was the man. In the Jewish faith of the time, Paul was the man. He was the goat. He was the greatest of all time. Paul was the Tom Brady of his time. But then he says all of that, he counts it as rubbish. He counts it as trash. He counts it as dung. All of those things, they don't amount to anything compared to knowing Christ. That's what he's saying. You can get distracted with all of these things that take your, your focus off of Christ and you end up in an unhealthy place. So all of this that he listed was just to gain for him his credentials and his credits and his successes were to saying, I can be proud of all I have accomplished in this life, but then I see that I had actually drifted away from God and all that I had accomplished was nothing compared to the, the glory of just knowing Christ. And Jesus said in John 17.3, this is eternal life, to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. So it's easy to get distracted and lose our focus on certain things. 
Religious professionals, they focus on the law, whether it's keeping it or those who are breaking it. But healthy faith is focused on the person of Jesus himself and will not accept any easy substitutes. Healthy faith begins and ends with God. Not with rules, not with regulations, not with duty. It's Jesus, not religion, that is at the core of a robust faith. Now I'm going to repeat that because I like that line and my sister's holding up an amen sign. Jesus, not religion, is at the core of a robust faith. And it's by seeking His faith that keeps us from losing our focus. Stay focused on Jesus to maintain good health in this time of virus. Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because when we live and we forget our focus, (coughs) excuse me, when we live, and we forget our focus. We lose track of where we're going. We get distracted by side issues. Now, tomorrow, May 3, is my son Adam's birthday. And in honor of him, I'm going to tell you this cute, lovable little tug-at-your-heart story about Adam. Every Friday when my kids were little, we have two sons, Aaron, and Adam, Bonnie and I have two sons, we would do the beautiful Adventist ritual of cleaning on Friday. I might run the vacuum, Bonnie might clean the kitchen, I don't really remember, but one of the things we put the boys in charge of was cleaning their own room. Oh sure, we were rich, the boys had their own room. So we would send Aaron up to his room to clean, and we would send Adam up to his room to clean, and as long as I heard noise... I knew something, everything was okay. They were cleaning. But then sometimes it would get silent. So I snuck up to Adam's room. And rather than seeing him Windex, rather than seeing him empty the trash, rather than seeing him put shoes back in the closet, I find him on the floor and spread out before him is his collection of pop tops. He would pull the pop tops off of cans and collect them in a jar. Why he did this? I don't know. It was one of his many little habits and idiosyncrasies that he had growing up. For a while, he collected empty wrappers from cheese crackers. But at this time, he had a collection of pop tops. And so his room was quiet when he should have been cleaning for Sabbath. And I go up and I say, Adam, what are you doing? So he did, like many kids do, to gain more time and figuring out what he wants to say. He goes, hmm? Like he didn't hear me. I go, Adam, what are you doing? Playing with my pop tops. What are you supposed to be doing? Hmm? What are you supposed to be doing? Cleaning my room for Sabbath. Is that part of cleaning your room for Sabbath? It could be. You see, he got distracted from the task of cleaning the room to expanding and looking at and rejoicing in his lovely pop-top collection. So here's my advice. Don't be like Adam. Don't get distracted by the pop-top collections of your life. Keep your focus on Christ. 
Do things that draw you to him. And when you look around you and you see the virus and you see unemployment and you see people dying and you see sadness and sorrow, those are all very real things and deal with them as you need to. But also at the same time to maintain health, keep your focus on Christ and your relationship with him. Read your Bible. Pray. Do those things that draw you closer to him. Don't let the distractions in the in the the uh, chatter and the babblings of life distract you where you lose your focus on God. Keep the main thing the main thing because we know that as we keep our eyes on Him, we know because the song tells us that while we keep our eyes on Him, He always has His eyes on us. Let us pray together. Father, we thank You for loving us so much. We thank You for giving us the privilege of keeping our eyes focused on you because we know that your eyes are always on us. May all the distractions be shut out sometimes. May we just focus. We realize how much you love us, how much you've done for us, how much you want to do in us and through us. And someday you'll bring us into face-to-face conversations with you. But until then, we live by the presence and the promise of your spirit. So may we keep our eyes on you because we know that your eyes are on us because his eye is on the sparrow. And that's tells me that his eye is still on me. So thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.